So I think we've all had this experience. Your your favorite show has just ended and you have Hulu and Netflix and Amazon Prime and and maybe you haven't quite cut the cables yet and you're you're looking at all of the choice that you have and you just can't quite find the right show to watch next. And you just find yourself feeling like that that seminal scene in the Twilight Zone. There's time enough at last. That's not fair at all. There was time now. There was was all the time I needed. That's not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs> Hey fam, welcome to another episode of Stay Watching. As always, I'm your host, Larry McAllister II. So this week, I have a fun episode for you. I sit down to talk with my friend Zach Morrison about Peak TV. And I know different folks have a slightly different definition of what Peak TV actually means. Um, I view it uh, in this way. Uh, we're kind of in an era of there is so much TV, um, almost too much. Uh, and this isn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's not necessarily a good thing. And so on this episode, Zach and I are going to talk about that and what it means for the television landscape and, you know, kind of what we see as being some of the pluses and minuses of that uh, and, and where we think things can go from there. So strap yourselves in. We have a great conversation. I think you're going to enjoy this one. So sitting down to talk with me about TV is my friend Zach. Zach, do you want to introduce yourself? Hey, Larry. Thanks so much for having me. <laughs> my, <laughs> my name is... That's, that's yeah, staying That's in. it. That's it. <laughs> my name is Zach Morrison. I'm a, uh, a writer and director uh, here from New Jersey. Uh, I just got my master's in uh, screenwriting and directing from Columbia University uh, MFA Film School. I'm now out in LA trying to do the whole... LA content creator filmmaker thing um, and I, my background's in comedy so I, I worked on a couple um, comedy shows here in, in New York as just like an assistant and then now um, my uh, most recent project is a musical comedy that's sort of playing in the film festival land out here uh, just won a student Emmy award uh, which is really exciting so uh, baby baby steps but you know trying to get my own stuff out in the world and 
and talking about movies and TV. Yeah, I mean, that's all you, <laughs> that's all you can really hope for is right. like really taking those small steps to get yourself out there and, and hoping that, you know, all of the work that you're doing is going to kind of line up in a place where, line up in a way where you can kind of get to that place that you're trying to make it to. Um, and so like thinking about just kind of the landscape right now, uh, a lot of kind of TV critics, a lot of, you know, kind of entertainment critics are, are talking about this whole idea of peak TV and this, this idea that we're kind of in a time period where there is so much content and so much of it is great. Um, but like, I, I don't know, like just that idea, just like, it, it gives me a lot to think about. And I wanted to hear kind of, what are some of your thoughts on that? You know, what, what, yeah. what kind of comes to mind when you, when you start to think about what is available to us as entertainment consumers right now in the, in the world of TV. Well, it's it's very interesting because now's really the best, it's both the best time and the worst time to be a TV consumer. Um, it's the best time because there's just so much stuff. There, and, and like you were saying, there's not only so much stuff, but there's so much good stuff. You know, like we're 10 years ago where all you had was like HBO, you know, and The Sopranos and The Wire and Oz doing their own thing and everyone else was still playing catch up now every channel and when i say channel i mean digital streaming netflix amazon hulu plus actual terrestrial channels everyone has their like marquee flagship show that's this incredible multi-million dollar production um and the, the storytelling is great and the writing's great and we're at a point where we've allowed ourselves to let quality storytelling come into tv whereas before where it was just sitcoms and kind of radio play type stuff and the movies were the serious stuff but now tvs are where serious drama is happening um but at the same time it, it, there's there's so much of it that it almost seems like there's just so much noise you know how do you cut through all the stuff that might be good but might also not be good and how do you actually find something or discover something you know yeah and that's that's actually something that's kind of constantly on my mind so uh, on the old version of the podcast i had an entire episode where i talked about kind of netflix and streaming culture and for me it, it's it's almost super daunting because you know every time i finish watching a show someone's telling me about this other thing that i need to watch and it's over here on this other platform and you know I'll be lucky if I have time to go watch that because there's a backlog of things that I told myself years ago right. that I was going to watch. So I guess, I guess my question for you is in a sense, you know, and I know, you know, having just kind of come out of grad school and, and you're <laughs> being on the, you know, kind of the, the, um, uh, the, the screening circuit yeah. right now, what, how do you how do you kind of make the decision on on what you're going to invest your time in in terms of, of of TV? It's it's really hard because I I'm a big fan of things that are in the fandom. You know, like Marvel, Game of Thrones, Westworld. Whenever that comes back, you know, like there I, like I I really enjoy the big summer, the equivalent of like the big summer blockbuster yeah. type thing. You know, that's that's way more my speed than you know, the stuff that you would find at a film festival or, or mm -hmm. any of that. So it's like, on the one hand, I, I want to see things. I want to, I want to watch the shows that are objectively the shows to be watching right now. Um, but I find that I, I'm just not watching much, you know, <laughs> like if there's like, uh, like I'm watching game of Thrones and now that that's over, um, you know, I don't know if there's another show that I'm actively seeking out at the moment. Um, and I think that just has to do with, 
because I, you know, you have to look on seven different sites and scroll through set, you know, 13 different lists of shows to see. Um, and sometimes you'll catch like an episode here or something or there. Like I just started uh, Barry the other day. I've heard nothing but good. <laughs> like, well, because it was funny because on it was on. Um, I forget if it was the night of the Battle of Winterfell or the um, the the King's Landing siege. One of those two episodes, like that happened, and we're all talking about Game of Thrones, and then all of the articles started tricking on online. Hey, just so you know, um, Barry was actually the best hour of TV tonight, and here's why. And people started talking about it, and it was like, I've been hearing it for weeks and weeks before, yeah. and I just never got to it, and so I finally just, like, you know, sucked it up. All right, I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to watch Barry today. <laughs> um, but it took it took weeks of just hearing about it for me to even want to look at it. Yeah. And weeks of seeing Bill Hader on Seth Meyers giggle about you know, the behind the scenes of the show for me to actually get interested. So I don't know if that apathy is like my problem, whereas just, I just feel I'm so overwhelmed that I just don't really care right now. Or if that's generated by this, the kind of environment that we're in where there's so much content that nothing is exciting across the board. Yeah. So I, I feel like I kind of lean towards that more decision paralysis kind of area of it where there is so much you know i know for me in my personal media life that's a that's a big thing where it's just like i'm sitting there and i'm like oh like i can watch this or this or this or this or this and then i end up watching none of them and just going and watching someone review something on youtube or watching some let's player play a video <laughs> game just because i don't want to deal with it anymore right. Um, you know, and I, I think that's one of the challenges that we're that we're really seeing right now, and it's, I, I think, especially using using Game of Thrones as a little bit of a backdrop for this, I think that's something that's also a little bit dangerous for the way that we consume TV together. Um, so I, I I feel like, um, and we're following up an episode where you know game of thrones has been talked to death oh, oh we, we've done this we you know you're you weren't on it but another another zach was on oh it. man i'm sorry um, so people are gonna be very confused they're gonna be like wait this isn't the same zach but um you know just like the idea of like kind of that water cooler show that that, right. that show that every you know monday or every wednesday or whatever day of the week it was on that people came together and talked about I feel like Game of Thrones is one of those, was one of the last programs that's really like that. I mean, you know, I am a, I am an avid live tweeter. No other program right now has the amount of discussion around it that Game of Thrones does. And so I find myself worrying, like, can, with the way that, you know, kind of our, our television and entertainment environment is right now, Will we see another Game of Thrones within our lifetime? <laughs> I, I mean, I I'd like to think that we will. You know, I I don't know if it would be in in the traditional sense of oh Sunday night at nine o'clock, everyone across the country sitting down, or like the Mash finale, or I like twenty. I remember twenty four was the show like oh, yeah. in, in high school where if you didn't watch it the next day you were screwed be, or, you know, because everyone would just be talking about it and you would, you know, ruin the show. Um, but I, you know, so I don't know if in that sense of the, we're all watching this on our couches in front of a TV. I don't know if that will happen, but I would like to hope that, um, because, you know, you have Netflix that's already doing 
episodic or weekly episodic releases um, for like their, you know, Hassan Minaj, like their comedy shows and stuff. But I think that that's a model that I would hope would pop up because they're going to see that now that Game of Thrones is gone, now that Marvel, the episodic movies are kind of shelved for a while. um, I think there's, especially in the industry now, everyone's trying to recapture that what's the next Game of Thrones. Like Amazon has their Lord of the Rings thing, which they've even said in interviews, oh yeah, this is like our Game of Thrones. It's probably going to be terrible, you know? Who knows? I, but I hope it's good. <laughs> I, I, like, I want it to be good. I really want it to be good. But I think that because there's going to be this power vacuum for who has the hit show, I, I think that they're going to go through a couple things that could have been mm-hmm. great and will not be great because of the streaming model of just everything's released at once among everything else that we're doing. And I think that eventually, you know, whoever is running the show in five years from now is going to realize that there is inherent value to event television and Mm -hmm. to the communal viewing experience. And that no matter how much money you throw into production budgets on a Netflix show, there's something about watching something together with people that makes that allowed Game of Thrones to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think I think to that point, you know, just the asynchronous nature of Netflix and the way because you know that's the thing if you drop an entire season in one day I don't have to watch this the day it comes out I mean I do because (laughs) I need to share my thoughts on it you know people are looking to hear that stuff from me Um, but you know at the same time it's just like I I don't need to go there And and it's really interesting when I think about you know my favorite show right now that I'm watching that no one else seems to be watching is, is Doom Patrol and the DC Universe <laughs> streaming uh, service. And it's just, it's one of those things where they release a new episode each week. They did the same thing with Titans and they, you know, with Young Justice, which is a cartoon. They even did like two episodes a week. And so they didn't drop it all at once and they kind of kept you kind of going along for the ride. And you know, seeing that model work on a streaming service, whether or not people are actually tuning in, which, you know, unfortunately for those shows, it doesn't seem like there's a lot of people who are subscribing and watching. It just kind of brought me back to that kind of, oh yeah, this is, this is how I enjoy TV, you know, because the thing is with binging and everything like that, I I personally feel like I don't necessarily get to digest as much from from you know kind of the media that I'm consuming because you know I'm taking it all in at once and I'm just like kind of plowing through it and sure like these really cool moments might stick out but how much of the actual substance of what I'm watching is getting lost in that so right. you know I guess I guess you know I'd also be interested in kind of hearing your your thoughts on kind of like that binge binge mode in yeah sense. Well, i i hate binge mode i because i i just fall asleep because i'm narcoleptic <laughs> i'm not but i feel like i am when, like if i'm sitting in a chair i just i'm gonna be out in you know two hours at most so i i don't i personally can only get through maybe two hours of a show before like i think i got through four episodes of barry Mm. <laughs> when I started to watch it. And that's just that's just kind of my max before I need to get up and do something because I'm very fidgety. Uh, but I, I personally think that something is lost in the binge model, you know, mm-hmm. because the shows that were that are on these streaming sites that were made before, uh, let's say, 2000, 
14, mm-hmm. right? Shows that were that were just like kind of legacy shows from wherever that were just acquired by these streaming yeah. sites. They were not meant to be binged. You know, the the storytelling, the 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 way the stories are structured, the big like moments that are supposed to be big moments mm-hmm. are lost because if you're just rolling into the next episode, yeah. or especially if you're rolling from a season finale to a season premiere or mm-hmm. you know a mid-season break on a cliffhanger that yeah. cliffhanger doesn't mean anything if you're just immediately going right yeah. into it so i you know i think that there are some really great like classic tv shows that have stood the test of time and age extremely well mm-hmm. and are still among the mount rushmore of shows ever made um i think part of the experience on those shows are lost if you are binging Fast forward to more recent stuff where now the binge model is part of the pro and part of the public zeitgeist and part of the process. You're now seeing shows that are maybe not designed to be binged, but are, but you there, we don't need cliffhangers now. Yeah. You know, like we don't, we don't need those story structures to hook us into next week because people are either going to be binging it or they're already up to date and they're going to watch it anyway. Yeah. So. I, I think that the whole binging thing that kind of started with like when House of Cards dropped on Netflix because that was outside of Lilyhammer that was like their first real attempt to like do mm-hmm. original content they had to do that that was like a marketing hook you yeah. know why why would you watch a show on HBO or I guess that'd be AMC like Breaking Bad was still yeah, a lot of the they, time they were really going after yeah. Breaking Bad Breaking Bad and Mad Men Walking Dead, Man, Walking Walking Dead. Yep. why wait and that was kind of their whole, that was their selling point. It was like, mm-hmm. come to Netflix where you can see the whole thing, you know? Yeah. But now that, th- like, terrestrial television and streaming sites have switched, where the streaming sites are, are your majority of viewership, even your um, you know, your actual TV channels are have their own platforms now and yeah. stuff. So, like, but, so now, that the, now that streaming is the de facto kind of main model, if you will... Um, I, I don't know if we need to keep using this L, the whole season drops at once model because that was never designed to be a thing. That was yeah. only just a marketing hook in the first place because we're losing part of that, you know, week to week experience that lets the show evolve and lets people talk mm-hmm. and, and the, you know, to, to get to that next communal viewing experience. Yeah. And I think, I think one of the things that that brings to mind for me, you know, so like, as you were talking about that, my mind immediately went to the Marvel Netflix series and like the biggest complaint against most of those shows was that they had too many episodes. And part of that comes from the fact that they were designed to almost work like, Hey, this is a 10 hour long movie. Well, a 10-hour long movie, if you're binging that, you know, there's going to be moments where you're like, well, does this need to happen? Do I care about this? You know, what are they doing with this space? And I wonder if it's also really damaged the way that we're kind of writing shows and, and, and storyboarding shows and kind of mapping out kind of that journey with those characters just because all right, we're on this platform, we're releasing in this way, so rather than, you know, even attempting to, you know, approach this in a way that makes sense, where an episode is an episode, you know, I wonder if that's kind of, like, broken all of that for us, or, you know, yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting, because you'll see that they're not calling them, I mean, some shows are not calling them episodes now, they're either chapters or parts, parts. And, yeah. which I hate. <laughs> um, 
because because you're right like i i do believe and this is my my biggest critique of the some of the more recent marvel movies is like i think the unit of the the medium whether it's an episode in tv or a movie in mm-hmm. in you know movies um i think it needs to stand on its own as yeah. a beginning middle and end and a full complete package mm-hmm. granted if you're on season five episode three we won't know that it's not like you can just start there fresh like you know that that you need the context of the previous episodes but it should still stand on its own in the yeah. sense of it being a fully contained yeah, unit each piece should have its own arc exactly and i i do think that the the way some of these shows are being written now where they're you know your writer's room can be smaller mm-hmm. it can be done in a vacuum on i mean on the one hand it's more of like an auteur kind of model where like you just get someone that writes the whole thing yeah um like soderbergh did with the nick mm-hmm. where he just it's just it's a 10-hour movie you know yeah and so that's where things are kind of going but i think that what you're losing is the ability for the show to grow and evolve in response to how it's being received. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're, I, and I hate to even call it like classic TV shows because that's out, <laughs> that's outrageous. Yeah. But you know, those shows when you had 24 episodes in a season and you can get to two or three episodes in and if something's not working in your story, you can adjust the arc. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you're not trapped to, the, the roller coaster rails that you set yourself on if it's not working you can course correct yeah. and I think some of the best shows have been allowed to course correct themselves mm-hmm. if some if like great you tried something and the network gave them the freedom to try something and for, for it to not work and then to correct themselves and grow and beyond but now you have these shows that because they're there's so much money being thrown at them and they're such big gambles and business risks yeah. that if you know, you drop the whole season at once, and if the first three episodes tank and the story's broken, the rest of the season's gonna bomb, then that show's gonna be canceled and we'll never have the chance to course correct because it's like you're just you're rolling the dice on it and you get <laughs> and you get one shot versus letting a show develop organically from the writing side. Yeah. No, definitely, definitely. I mean I think that's something that we've you know, again, Netflix is like kind of the perfect example of that where we've seen that time and time again. The Marvel shows are not an example of that because, you know, had deals been not going the way they were, those shows probably would have gone on indefinitely, whether they were good or not. Um, you know, but, you know, there's so many different examples of that. And, and I mean, again, a lot of this stuff happened on, you know, quote, regular right. TV right. as well. Um, you know, but... I guess, I guess part of, part of my, part of my conundrum, you know, part of, part of what I, I find myself, you know, kind of wondering about with all this. So, um, yeah, so just kind of thinking about, thinking out loud here, you know, just, there's so many different places where you can consume media, but that also means there's so many places that you can kind of pitch your media to or try to get you know, your show picked up or your movie picked up or whatever you're trying to do. I mean, I think that's that's another thing that we'll we'll talk about in a second is just the way that so many different types of television entertainment, movie entertainment, it's all sort of blending together in a lot of different ways. Like even from a genre perspective where, you know, it used to kind of be like, hey, here's drama, here's comedy, maybe you have a dramedy. Now it's kind of like a lot of these shows, it's a complete amalgamation, but, you know, just kind of on that idea of 
being able to kind of take your show or your pitch anywhere, you know, from, from your perspective, you know, what's good about that, but, but what also might be a little bit challenging about that? Well, so I think from the creative side, I think now is the greatest time to be getting into this game, strictly because there are so many platforms and everyone needs content. Mm -hmm. And while there's no shortage of content across the board because anyone can make a cat video and now that's content on YouTube or something, but I think there is such a high demand now for good stuff because every you know every streaming platform is constantly one-upping each other and so i think from if you're a creative now and you're trying to get your show somewhere it's great because there are so many avenues for you to explore at the same time it's terrible because everyone is doing it you know yeah. and and there's just it, it's like there was a um there was some article that was talking about how to solve traffic problems and it's if by increasing the lanes of the road that doesn't actually solve the traffic issue that just more cars will be on the road mm -hmm. um and i think it's kind of the same with with tv where it's it's amazing that you know you have youtube red facebook watch uh apple's getting into it yahoo is getting mm -hmm. into it um which is crazy and then you know amazon like just all of these new services are all looking for their own unique thing so it's amazing that the powers that be, these kind of gatekeepers of the entertainment industry, are taking chances on newer indie, lower budget things. I do think that there is a problem though, because now everything's expendable and disposable. You know, if 10 years ago, if a show had a rough first season, maybe they're you know, because it would be on a network or something, they'd give it season two, season season three, and let the show find its legs. And I think, which I think is necessary for a show, because you might not know what your show is until it grows a beard and you figure out, you know, what it's doing. That was a Star Trek reference for anyone who didn't pick up on that. <laughs> um, but but like you need you need that time to make your show work. And I think. While it's great that all these platforms are now available for people to take their material and, and you know, because everyone wants to discover the new thing, I think there's a danger in the sense of because there's so much content and the democratization of the industry from a technology side has made it so easy for anyone to make something that if your show doesn't work immediately, it could just be canned. Yeah. And, and, and even, even on like on network TV now, there is very little patience for mm -hmm. a show that's not working right out of the gate. Yeah. Poor whiskey Cavalier. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't even have a chance. <laughs> no, never had a chance. But I, I mean, that's, that's, it, it is really interesting to think about it that way. I mean, my job is all social media. So I'm constantly looking at impressions and engagement and everything like that. And to think about how essentially on a lot of these streaming services, our, media is being judged in that same exact way i mean netflix is using how many people watch this show in the first week of its release to really determine if something is worth continuing especially if they hadn't already you know signed a contract for three seasons or parts or whatever they're calling them uh right now and so i think that it really is interesting it's a bit it is a bit scary at the same time you know I, I think part of my issue with Netflix especially is 
we don't always know what that criteria for success is with them because they don't really they don't release how many people have viewed. No, they're they're very secretive with all that stuff. Super secretive about it. And so, you know, that's why when things like the whole Marvel thing happen, you know, it's people searching for, well, did viewership go down? Did this happen? Did this happen? And you know, just because we don't have enough information and, you know, lo and behold, it was because of a whole lot of other deals that were happening. But, you know, we wouldn't have, we would have no idea about right. that. And I mean, there are other programs there that have been canceled. You know, it's just, those are just the ones that keep coming <laughs> to mind. Um, you know, but how do we, how do we kind of work past that where, you know, all right, we're trying to make sure that people watch this show, you know, so we're going to talk about it on social media or whatever, but that doesn't guarantee that people are going to tune in on platform or it's not going to make sure that they, feel obligated um to watch it right away and that kind of brings me back to something that you were talking about a little bit earlier but the almost like the idea where you have to i don't want to necessarily call it stunt marketing but you need to make the show itself an experience right which you know i also know kind of opens up a pandora box of all sorts of other of other you know issues but you know when we think about you know the sopranos or game of thrones or i would say breaking bad to a much lower extent um you know especially just because of you know it being out at the same time that netflix was really kind of rising in stock and being able to kind of take advantage of being able to be streamed before it ended um kind of giving it something a little bit different from some of those other shows um in, a, in, a, in the same way that I would say Mad Men kind of had that going for it and The Walking Dead it also kind of benefited yeah. from it. Um, you know, but almost that idea that we need to find that new way to kind of take the show out of just being a show. It needs to be the thing that we can't stop talking about. It needs to be the thing that we have pop-up events for um you know because i mean again i think about the marketing with game of thrones this season it's like oh we've hidden you know an iron an throne, iron throne in four in places Iceland. around the world yeah. like see if you can find them and get your picture there like we're going to be bringing an iron throne to malls across america come out and get your picture right. you know so making all of these you know making the entertainment work outside of of the piece itself um you know and again that's you know, I think we're really talking for the the larger shows yeah. here, the ones that these companies think are going to make the most money. Um, but at the same time, I think a, a bit of that also kind of hinges on those smaller, you know, more personal projects. Um, you know, to, to all the boys I, I love before that came out on Netflix, you know, when that came out, it was an event for people, right. you know, because, you know... I, it just it just happened to work out in this way where it was something that all right you haven't seen this yet please go back and watch this so that we can talk about it tomorrow i'm not going to talk to you today until you've seen it and you know it, it's almost like finding that way to create that for whatever programs we're putting yeah. out there even if it's with just a small niche kind of audience that's watching it yeah i, th- I think it it just comes down to you know we're I don't want to say we're artificially doing anything, but I think that there's a sense of, I think, especially marketing companies and the the, the producers and the, the studios that have the money to put millions of dollars into advertising, I think they're trying to 
generate that water cooler discussion about the show that isn't happening organically anymore. You know, I think there's a much like there's a much more important need to be just advertising and marketing in general. I didn't watch Barry until someone spent three weeks telling me about it and then I finally went to go see it. But, you know, I think that because we're not just sitting at home at six o'clock on a Tuesday and whatever's on is what's on and then that's what we have to talk about. Now we're competing for eyeballs and so that we're trying to jumpstart the water cooler chat of the show ahead of the show mm-hmm. as opposed to it being a result of the show. Mm-hmm. And I think... I don't, I mean, I don't know what is successful and what's not. And I think to a certain degree, you really can't predict what's going to blow up. Um, it's it's tough. It's tough because, I mean, you know, just from like a, a, you know, film perspective, you know, something like Bird Box on Netflix. Yeah. You know, we'll use that as an example. Never expected that to have no. like the, the groundswell that it did. Um, Should not have at all been yeah. the thing that it was. And, and yet it was great. Yeah, and then compare that to something like um, I don't even remember what it's called, but it was that that movie that had Ben Affleck and like Oscar Isaac and something to do with the cartel, maybe. But like, oh uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> completely gone. Yeah, completely gone. But it's like you know, it's it was essentially designed in a way where this should be super popular. Hey, we're getting a big budget action film. Starring Ben Affleck, it's coming straight to Netflix. Who's not going to watch this? Right. You know, and it's kind of like that same idea with even though technically people tuned in, Bright with Will Smith. You know, that is a travesty on a whole number of different ways. You know, I'm not going to get into yeah, that. Yeah. But like, you know, stuff like that, stuff that should easily be successful. It's like there's no there's no predicting it now. Well, and I think the 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 other half of that is. You know, stuff that should be successful is getting lost in in the content game, and I think that's Netflix's biggest problem is that they refuse to put their stuff in theaters. You, you know, and and for whether it's TV or or movies, I think like not not to say that movie theaters is like the ultimate thing, but <laughs> yeah. but like but it's you know we're not going to see that kind of thing, you know, like a, a Goodwill Hunting kind of experience where this is like a small thing that becomes a large thing mm-hmm. because it is so good it deserves to be this large thing. Yeah. Like that isn't going to happen anymore. All that's going to happen is, you know, with the 50 new shows that premiere on Netflix this week, one of them for whatever reason is going to become either the joke of like memes mm-hmm. online like Bird Box did yeah. and then and that's how that's why we watch Bird Box because we uh, saw, saw Twitter we saw the memes like this is hilarious, you know? Or, or Bandersnatch, where it's jumping off a already established brand, mm-hmm. and like, ooh, this is the new thing. We got it. We got to try it. And it's a game. Ooh, you know. <laughs> but it's, yeah. So it, like, I, I think that's why something like that Ben Affleck project just kind of like fell by the wayside mm-hmm. because it now takes more than just a good show to have a good show. Yeah. Yeah. No. Def- definitely. <laughs> definitely. You know, I, I think, um, you know, the, the bringing up Black Mirror made me think of something that I, I kind of want to ask you. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I know like where you're at with media is a little bit different, but, you know, when Black Mirror initially came out, you know, it was this BBC show that Netflix picked up, um, 
you know, initially it was like a, I think it was like the first two seasons were on there. On BBC, very low budget, very, very indie. Very indie, very yeah. low budget, very much not what it is today. Yeah. Um, and I find myself, and, and maybe I'm just like, maybe it's just me getting older, but I found myself not enjoying the show as much as it started to get its kind of like meteoric popularity yeah. and like each season I was like, well, there's only really, you know, I mean, they don't have a whole ton of episodes, but each season I'd be like, there's only one, one of these really speaks to me or, or two speak to me. And the rest are kind of like, ah, I could do without them. Um, you know, have you had any experiences like that with media where it's like when you, when it was smaller, you felt like, yeah, you, know, you were really into it, but as it got bigger, you kind of started to fall off a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think of not an answer that has to do with Marvel, <laughs> <laughs> but but to to use Marvel as an example, while I think of another one, um, I think that the Phase One of the Marvel Universe might have been my favorite because mm. I think the like the original concept of we are going to have these standalone movies with characters in their standalone universes told by directors who have standalone points of view. Um, and they're all individual units. And then to do something that's never been done, bring them all together and show that they can all play in the sandbox together and go on their own adventure. And then when that thing's done, they go back to their own franchises. And I thought that as a the building blocks of what's now the standard idea to build a cinematic universe <laughs> of something that was really cool. And because the story stood on, you know, on their own legs and you could watch there, there was no order you had to watch them in. You just knew that after these four, then you see Avengers when they all come together. Yeah. Um, plus the, you know, the world of Iron Man was very different than the world of the Incredible Ed Norton, which was very different than the, <laughs> the Incredible Ed Norton. <laughs> which is very different. I, that was that's one that was one of my favorite Marvel movies. I still that one still holds up for me. Oh, interesting. Um, and like and and you know, <laughs> Kenneth Branagh did Thor, Thor. and like that like mm -hmm. just the whole those building blocks of this is their own thing, and then now we come together for Avengers. That was great. I think by the time you got to Avengers 2, like Ultron and Civil War, where it became an episodic medium, and now you can't skip one or you can't miss one. And as and also, it became more about the shared universe and less about the individual standalone things. I thought Black Panther was great, but I just watched Doctor Strange today and it was crap. I you know, <laughs> I wasn't a big fan of Captain Marvel because I think the emphasis of the standalone movies later in the, the Marvel timeline became about setting up the big thing, setting up the extended narrative as mm -hmm. opposed to the extended narrative being a result of quality storytelling on the individual films. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, what's, what's interesting about that. And I'm just going to talk about Marvel for a second. <laughs> I feel like every episode, it's just, just going to come back that comes back to Marvel. <laughs> but like, I mean, like to your, to your point, I think like the other thing with the black Panther, cause I've done a, an extensive thought dump on the black. Panther. Oh, right. Like, there's right. an episode that people can go back and listen to <laughs> about that. But I think the difference with black Panther between black Panther, Dr. Strange and, and Captain Marvel, you know, all three of them are really kind of getting back to that kind of phase one idea of, right. you know, all right, this is this is a one shot of this character and their world. 
the reason why Black Panther works so much better is because the characters within the context of their world are so much better connected right. and realized and fleshed out. And Doctor Strange and Captain Marvel, they don't quite get that. Um, you know, and, and that's it's it's not just a matter of that central character, but their supporting cast. And so there's a lot of disconnect between who that character is, the world around them, and the people around them. Right. Where you don't necessarily have that in Black Panther because a lot of it is connected. You know, a lot of it is connected in several different ways. Uh, and it makes it a little bit easier to navigate that world and see multiple characters' points of view easily. Right. Wherein Captain Marvel, even our main character's view, is fragmented. And so trying to see things from the other characters' points of view when we don't have enough time with them is made difficult. You know, not yeah. to say that that's the case for every character. Oh, for there. sure. You know, and, and Doctor Strange, once again, it's like, you know, we have we have his vision of the world, but we don't really get a whole lot from most of the other people outside of a few jokes here and there from Wong. Yeah. You know, so... No, so that, <laughs> it was, it was, I mean, I, I watched it on the plane today. It was very strange. I mean, it was fun, but it was like, we're going to do Inception, but like Marvel's Inception. Um, <laughs> but no, but to go back to Black Mirror, because I was trying to think of like another example where something like, as it got bigger, it sort of lost what it was doing. And as these words are coming out of my mouth, of course, Game of Thrones is also popping in my head, but I'm not, I'm not going to go there. But I, I think that if you look at like the Twilight Zone, mm. you know, because they just rebooted it, I watched maybe half of one episode and I need to give it its fair shake and I, yeah. I, I haven't done it yet. But I think that there's a reason why and, and excluding Jordan Peele's reboot because it's been rebooted multiple yeah, times. It's not the first reboot. You know, like I think that there was something so simplistic in the storytelling of, you know, Rod Serling's early Twilight Zone episodes. Um, and then, at, like, it, it wasn't about the surprise twist. It was about the message of mm -hmm. what was happening. And, like, like the, the moral of the story was really the point and the surprise twist yeah. was just the catalyst that got us to that moral. And I think as over the multiple iterations of the Twilight Zone, and then you bring in um, Outer Limits mm -hmm. and Black Mirror, you know, like it, it, it when it becomes about the twist and about yeah. and about the the thing, as opposed to about what the message of the story is, that's where those kind of things start to fall to fall off, mm -hmm. you know. And I think like, it's, I mean, same with with Star Trek with uh, Discovery. I think Discovery didn't know what it was doing. Not like like the like oh we're in a spaceship and we're fighting the Klingons and <laughs> and there's a the you know alternate universe. They knew what they were like in that sense, but in terms of if you look at the original like Shatner Star Treks, very much like the old Twilight Zones, there were, every episode was about a thing and it was yeah. about something and they had something to say on a human level yeah. as opposed to just like how can we make this a big, cool, hooky thing? Mm -hmm. And I think that when, you know, with all these franchises, as they get bigger and as audience expectations of them get bigger, they then kind of, it becomes this weird self-fulfilling prophecy of like, oh, if we're a show that does like a weird twist like Black Mirror, mm -hmm. but audiences are expecting those hooks to be bigger and bigger and bigger, we have to then grow exponentially out in order to satisfy yeah. that expectation and so I, I told you know I don't know where I'm going with any of this but I, I just that snowball effect of like it, it becoming a 
rolling farther and farther away and becoming bigger and bigger from what like the core of it is supposed to be. Yeah, and you know, it, it's funny as you were talking about that the the Star Trek example. It, Star Trek. No, it's fine. <laughs> Star Trek. Star Trek. Star Trek. Star Trek. Star Trek. Star Trek example. You know, because I, I, as you were you were talking about, it, I was thinking about the original Star Trek and how it was essentially, you know, as you said, it's kind of like here's the issue of the day, let's deal with it. As you start to get into next generation, you know, you start to see the birth of more kind of multi-episode arcs and you know character arcs that might span the entire series and things like that to a point where you get in like Deep Space Nine where you know an entire season will be about like a very One specific thing, thing. Um, and almost how that's a change that we've really seen you know again that it's echoing back to that idea of a lot of what we're seeing on Netflix is the 10 hour movie yeah. um, and almost in a way like some of those longer running series in a sense kind of prepared that prepared us to see that happen but we didn't necessarily realize it, yeah. you know, and because I mean, I think that's something that also happens like really early on with with a lot of shows. Um, Scandal is one of the ones that comes to mind for me, and you know, for the longest time, I was like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not really sure about these Shonda Rhimes shows and everything like that. But like, you know, the first season of Scandal got me. It was like really short; it was maybe seven episodes, and it was essentially it felt like Scooby Doo, right? Where it's like each week new issue that we're dealing with, you know. It's fun, it's interesting, oh, yeah. very procedural, like, cool, we, we did this one, we're good, next week's episode is going to be something completely different. And then, as the series went on, it became, alright, here is this arc, and yeah, we'll still do that thing, but the real story is this piece that's going across the entire thing. Right. And so, I almost wonder, like, is there a way for us to really 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 get back to almost that like super episodic like i hope so storytelling because you know even you know i was thinking about it with i introduced my my mom to uh, parks and recreation <laughs> uh o- over the mother's day weekend with my sister and you know she really enjoyed it but the thing that i realized watching it back is like you know especially you know parks and rec the office there there are even though there are things that happen in specific episodes, there's a lot of it where it's like it's a spanning storyline that might take an entire season, and you do have to pay attention to each one. So, like, I don't know. I guess I guess the Black Mirror conversation, the early Star Trek, yeah. like, it makes me think. Like, can we get back to that place where it's like we have these, you know, intricately done but very, you know, kind of specific pieces that that really do as we were talking about before kind of stand on their own right i mean i'm a i'm a big fan of monster of the week tv you know like i um like stargate sg1 was my favorite show growing up as a kid um, i i still have like all the dvd box of all like 15 seasons or whatever but what i what i loved about about that series in addition to it being like sci-fi but also funny and real and um it w- was the fact that it was very episodic. There mm-hmm. were there were loose story arcs over the course of a season, you know, but very rarely did we get into any kind of hyper-serialized storytelling outside of, like, the occasional mid-season two-parter. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's kind of a classic, again, like, that kind of classic model of let TV be these short... Dig- let it be an episode. Let it mm-hmm. be, like 
one unit of storytelling and then you can consume that and be good and then if you want to consume the next one at another time awesome but you don't doesn't matter what happened with that one you know even like on your you know your cop procedurals like I remember um, CSI New York with Gary with Gary Sinise. <laughs> there was this weird. There was this weird thing. Like they tried to force a uh, a serialized arc into the course of one season. We're like at the end of every ep- like there's the new crime and they they solve the crime and the CSI has worked their magic and they solve the crime and at the end of the show there's always like five minutes left at the end and they would have Gary Sinise just hanging out at home playing the bass or whatever he does and he would get a phone call at like 3.33 in the morning. It was this very specific <laughs> time. And, he's, and who's there? <sighs> and then hang up. And then we cut, and, but like over the course of every show, just ended with like, ooh, who is this guy mm-hmm. calling Gary Sinise at three in the morning? And it just, I, I don't, it just does, it didn't work. It was just so like, oh, we're going to nail this on mm-hmm. at the end anyway. And, and I, I think now it, we've gone like a full 180 where now everything is so hyper-serialized. And I think there are attempts to try to add like individual episode arcs into certain yeah. hyper serialized shows, and they don't work because they're just, it's the afterthought. Yeah. And so I hope that we get to a point where, you know, if it's the right show and the right story and the engine of the show functions well enough to allow it, I, I want to get back to episodic mm. and like true episodic, you know, monster of the week stuff because. I don't have the emotional and mental capacity to track a 10-hour movie with every show. With every show. Like, I can, like, if I have one 10-hour movie going on, for every one of those, I need, like, two or three, you know, Parks and Recs or The Offices Mm -hmm. or, you know, I I think that's why I find myself watching YouTube videos a lot more because they are, they're so short and none of that stuff is serialized. And it's like, oh, I want to watch one specific thing. I'm going to watch this. And then be then good, done. you know. So I, I think like, and I don't, I don't know what everyone feels, but I, I, <laughs> I hope, like me personally, I would love, you know, um, shows to have very, you know, or to have some shows that are just serial, you know, some serialized, some can be episodic, monster of the week, but every show does not have to be both all the time. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's one of the things that you know, just thinking about again, game having Game of Thrones have just ended <laughs> um you know that's that's one of the things that comes to mind because it's like when game of thrones is on i can barely watch anything else that's considered an hour-long drama because right. that's a lot of mental capacity that i'm spending on this show and you know trying to connect to the previous seven seasons of television that i just watched and you know so trying to make it all work together is just it's so difficult and you know, I think just kind of moving away from that idea, you know, just a, you know, just like a couple of things yeah, I wanted yeah. to touch on before before we kind of end today. Um, you know, obviously you are a very, you know, you love comedy. I do. And uh, one of the things that I've been thinking a lot about, especially with, um, you know, shows like Atlanta right now, where, um, you know, it really kind of mixes that idea of, what a comedy is with what a drama is and you know we're looking at a half hour program that sometimes it can be the most serious yeah shit you have watched um you know they have episodes that are essentially small horror movies they have episodes that are you know 
introspections into a character's life and mental state and everything like that and you know may not have jokes as you would traditionally think about them yet the show might still be you know categorized as as a comedy so i guess you know i'm I'm interested in your kind of take on you know genres genre bending genre mixing and you know you know what what does kind of your you know your perfect show look like? I mean, I I I really think it's funny. It's funny you mentioned the the half hour dramedy because I think that's my favorite genre right now. Um, between Atlanta and again HBO is really the one doing most of this stuff with like Crashing, Insecure, mm-hmm. Girls. Um, What's a uh, room one oh one oh four one oh four oh one? Sure. Yeah, the the the, the room. <laughs> so little yeah, the room, the room, <laughs> the place. Um, no, I I think that the the half hour dramedy is it, and it's not like a, a a new thing. I just think people are like like in film school we watched Nurse Jackie was a show mm-hmm. that we watched mm-hmm. a lot for this very reason because it and and that was not early two thousands early two thousands yeah. yeah like that that was a show that took the the physical mechanics of a comedy and introduce like actual dramatic storytelling into it but it was still funny and heartwarming and engaging but you could watch one episode and be good and there like it was just it, yeah. it checked all the boxes for for this is good writing and i think that you know what we're seeing now with this sort of resurgence of half hour dramedy projects i think it's great because i think that's where we're getting the most experimentation and the most sandbox playtime with what can we do in 30 minutes, you know? And now that, um, is, is the new Twilight Zone half hour or is it hour long? I think it might be an hour. Damn. Okay. I, I haven't, uh, pirated it yet. So. Okay. Cause I mean, cause the, the originals were half hour. Half hours, yeah. yeah. And I, I think like the half hour space to me is where we're seeing the most original work. Some of the best work that's yeah. that does not have fifty billion dollars an episode thrown behind it, you know. In the same way that um, web series sort of took over the mold of like the indie feature that mm. would get a theatrical run. Like we'll never see a Clerks ever again, no. but we'll see that exist on the web. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I like I think on TV now the half hour space is becoming where we're seeing the new that's like the cultivation the playground Mm -hmm. that's the new stuff and then i think eventually you know your hour longs are going to get to a point where because they all have to compete with what the next game of thrones like project is going to be you know i think we're going to see more of a divide between the kind of things that are successful in hour long land and the kind of things that pop up in half hour land Mm -hmm. yeah no i definitely definitely I agree pretty much 100% on that. Um, so I guess, you know, the the last thing that I'm going to gonna ask you today. So um, we're going to kind of mix this up a little yeah, bit. Yeah. So outside of, you know, so you're, you're currently watching Barry. Right. Um, outside of Barry, what are some of the other things that you're kind of watching or, or are on your list to watch? So outside of Barry, which I, I I have to say after the fourth episode, I'm gonna get back to it eventually. The all the jokes about um, like like acting and writing and like all the Hollywood <laughs> jokes, it just it was very painfully truthful. So uh, I had to just stop it for my own sanity for a minute. But um, shows that I do want to watch that I haven't gotten to yet. Um, 
Oh man, it's it's tough because I I find that I'm always just behind the curve on everything. Like there are there, there are movies from five years ago I still haven't seen yet. Um, I don't know. Like I just I don't know if there's one show that's like oh I I haven't gotten to that show yet but I need to check it out. Um, I was watching Altered Carbon on Netflix for a while. I still see. It's, it's yeah, funny you yeah. mentioned that. It's on my list to watch, and I still haven't. What someone told me about it last, all like last February. Yeah, and I still haven't watched it's, it. It's like a, it's like a bootleg, like Blade Runner. Blade it's Runner. like a future neo noir, but it's also like a police detective story. So it, it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, the the ranch I was watching for a while. Mm. Like I know that's it's kind of it's done right it's, I think over. it's over yeah, yeah. but that, honestly that was great because that that kind of fulfilled that half hour popcorn type thing that mm-hmm. was the palate cleanser from you know the big thing um, I'm, try, I'm trying to think like what's on now <laughs> it's it's bad it's, like it's, it's Man, Man in the High Castle I watched a couple episodes of. Um, Recently, again, tried to watch Walking Dead. I still can't get past the first season. I mean, um, you're not you're not missing anything. I can tell yeah. you that. Like, <laughs> this is the second time The Walking Dead has come up on here, and it's just like, you know, so much hope for that show. You know, because one of the things that I love to talk about is the idea of kind of representation in, in entertainment media. And yeah. Like, it is like a perfect kind of show for that, you know, where it's like, you know, you have, you have good representation of women, people of color, like you know, uh, people of differing um, sexuality, and it's like, all of that stuff is there, and if it were just written in a more interesting way, it right. would be perfect. But it never achieves <laughs> that. Yeah, no, it's 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 very it's very strange when you can see a show that like, it, it this should be working, this should, you know, the, yeah. all the pieces are there, and, just, and it never works. Um, I recently went on a Sorkin binge. Mm. So I like I've seen all of his shows, but I watched The West Wing again because my my dad and sister never saw it, and I came home one day and they were just watching it, and I was like, oh, oh this is not a show I thought you would ever be watching, and then they were like, yeah, we're in season one, it's really great, I'm like cool, I'm gonna re- just re- rewatch it with you guys, and then I got up to the part where Aaron Sorkin left the show, and I still can't finish the, like it's just a different show after that, yeah. so I always just like lose interest after like we get to the point after he leaves. Um, I just did uh, Studio 60 for the first time. Mm. That was if Aaron Sorkin, it was like his follow-up to The West Wing where he tried to do like a Saturday Night Live. Yeah. Like a, it was a drama about what happened backstage <laughs> at an SNL type show. And it was so bad, but great. You yeah. Know? Um, I mean, sometimes the sometimes things that kind of fall short are kind of amazing in their own right. Yeah. Like, like this has nothing to do with anything, but the the part that really like there was a scene where um, Bradley Whitford and um, uh, who's the other guy, uh, Chandler from Friends. Uh, oh, uh, Ma- uh, Matthew Perry. Yeah, uh, yeah, because they're they're like the two guys, and it, like the whole crux of the show is that um, one of the writers is secretly writing a half hour sitcom and trying to leave the show, and the way they figured that out was because he left one of his you know Studio sixty scripts in the format of another show. 
and it's like they're they're fighting over this like it's 42nd page you're using 42nd page not half hour and it's that they're arguing over a script format that does not exist mm-hmm. in the world like no one ever no, <laughs> no writer ever calls anything oh this is oh we're, we're writing in 42nd page so it's just it was so strange and so weird it has nothing to do with the question you asked me <laughs> but, uh, but I don't know like I I am I want to find the new thing like mm-hmm. when Westworld comes back I'm gonna watch that because I'm I'm hooked um you know I I don't know. Like I, I grew up on like you know your Buffy, Angel, Firefly, like the Joss Whedon type stuff, and you know. <laughs> you know what's what's interesting is like you know just to talk about Joss for a second because I've been I've been waiting for him to come up at, at some oh, point really? here. You know, and it, it's one of those things where I feel like he's one of those people that we all told ourselves he was great for the longest time, but like as I go back and watch some of this stuff, I'm just like. All right, we talked about how great his dialogue is, and I'm just like watching it. And I'm like, he does the same thing. Oh yeah, every single episode, every single turn. Like, part of the issue that I have with going back and watching like the first Avengers movie is a lot of his it's, it's, dialogue choices, yeah. his aesthetic dialogue choices, where I'm just like, why is it this way? <laughs> why does it feel so unnatural? And I think that's right. like one of the things that I realized that I really, I am making it about Marvel again, <laughs> really love about like the Russo brothers take on Marvel because it's like, all right, like I finally feel like these are conversations that people would have. Right. I mean, when you like, and it's the same with Aaron Sorkin with Joss Whedon. When you, when you watch something that's done by a very specific writer that mm-hmm. has kind of earned himself the right to do whatever he or she wants. I like part of my, my enjoyment of that is like, Oh, I want to see his take on this yeah. or her take on that. And so when I'm watching a Joss Whedon show or an Aaron Sorkin show, I'm not, I don't, I'm not looking for realism. <laughs> you, you know, I'm not watching those shows for realism. I'm watching them to see like, Oh, Firefly is Joss Whedon's friends in space. And much, much ado of his, uh, Shakespeare, much ado about nothing is yeah. Joss Whedon's friends doing Shakespeare or like sports night is Aaron Sorkin doing ESPN. And so yeah. like, I, I, I personally like the shows where you see the, the writer's voice in it in mm-hmm. a way. Um, mostly because like, I want to write one day yeah. and like, I want to be able to leave my handprint on stuff, but um, what I what I don't like, and what I've, I'm finding now with a lot of these current, the kind of the current shows on Netflix, and that that might be why I'm not able to really sit down and watch anything, is there there, no, there isn't a show yet that's hooked me in a way that I remember being hooked as like a kid watching mm-hmm. shows, um, and I don't know I don't know what it, what that thing is. I have no idea what I'm looking for, but I I, I feel like it's now becoming the issue of we just have to rush this into production and just get it up all the season at once. And if it sucks, it's fine. It's not going to go past one year anyway. And, and there's no like the craft of like, let's make this something different and unique. Mm-hmm. I think we're losing because of how fast the turnaround is on these things. Yeah. I, I definitely think there's, there's something to that, but I, I do want to ask you, you know, and I, and I really do need to let you go at some point because <laughs> I know there's probably a ton of other things that you want to do with your day, but, um, you know, that just really made me think about, uh, stranger things. Yeah. Uh, because stranger things presents a very unique problem that, only a few other shows have where there are differing amounts of time between each season. Like it's not on 
a traditional release schedule in any sense of it. Um, and while it is borrowing a lot from, you know, our nostalgia, essentially, right. you know, our, our love of, of 80s, you know, early 90s, sometimes 70s, you know, um, aesthetics yeah. and ideas and visuals, uh, as well as music, how do you... How do you feel about something like that, that is trying to kind of be its own thing and and do it on its own terms, but at the same time, it's like super derivative? I mean, I think it's like, I would rather see more shows take that model where we're going to do our thing and it's very specific and you're either on board or you're not. And we're going to do it our way. Like, and just so, like, by watching the show, you are just submitting yourself to not only our show, but our process of doing the show. That's cool. I think, and I think Stranger Things is its own unique thing, because after that first season came out, everyone realized, like, oh, we have something here. And I think Netflix gave them permission to do whatever you want. Like, they, they, they earned their their final cut on the show to just, like, have fun with this, you know? In the same way that after... Game of Thrones killed off Ned Stark, which is not a surprise to anyone who read the books, but like, that's where, ooh, wait, okay, yeah, now, now do your thing. And so, I think it's up to, it's up to the, like, new shows now that are still trying to, like, be seen in endless scrolling on content page, splash pages, you know, I, I think it's, I, what I find value in a show is I want something that's just unique and different mm-hmm. and is not, like, if you're going to do something that's similar or derivative of something, make it a full, like, right turn, you know? Like, really own up to the fact that you're taking something familiar and twisting it, as opposed to, like, oh, like... And I realized Parks and Rec got better as it went along, but I think they, they <laughs> try. It was like, oh, we're going to do The Office with not The Office characters, yeah. you know? Um, and... And then eventually, like, eventually they, they found their own legs and did their own thing. But, you know, that, that was part of the reason why I never got into Parks and Rec. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which is because it just felt like, oh, this is another one of the shows where we have testimonials and, mm-hmm. and, and fast whip pan zooms. And we're just going to, you know, stare down the camera and mm-hmm. play gym face. So. Oh, gym face. <laughs> Don't tell. Well, this is, this is on the podcast. Jim is like my least favorite artist character. <laughs> I, like everybody loves him, I cannot stand Jim. I think he's yeah. awful. Well, and, and that's that's another show. Uh, not to talk your ear off, but like that's a show where obviously excluding the pilot, which was a line for line chopper shot remake of the original pilot, but that first season, some of the best episodes of the entire series are in that first season. Yeah, because oh, absolutely, and then like, and then that's a show that when it started becoming about oh, the serialized arc of Jim and Pam's wedding and all that nonsense. Like, I I never saw the end of The Office. Oh, the baby. I stopped right... Like, actually, I, I stopped before the wedding, came yeah. back to it, saw that this baby nonsense was happening, stopped again. And, yeah. like, you know, like you, I don't think I've ever actually seen... I've never seen The Office in its entirety. And I know... Someone is going to jump down my throat for saying. Oh yeah, that right now, I mean, but... I, I have. They can jump down both our throats because I haven't <laughs> seen it either. But I feel like I know what happens because I feel like I've lived the show vicariously through Twitter. Mm. You know, like, like when they were bringing in James Spader and Will Ferrell and all these other people to like audition who would be the replacement for Steve Carell. 
Um, I like. I feel like I got all that, and I don't need to watch it because yeah. Diversity Day is still one of the funniest half hours of TV I've ever oh, it's seen. Fantastic, you know. And that's the second. That's the that's the first not original episode yeah, yeah. that they had because the pilot doesn't count. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that was great. I was go. Oh, damn, we we talked for talked for a long time. Oh man, there. that's great. Have fun that's editing great. this. Yeah, no. It, the great part about it is, you know, and this is staying in there. My process is, I don't have to cut out a whole lot because if the conversation is good, it's really just about hey, there might be a few gaps that we have, there might be a few hiccups that we have that need to be trimmed, but most of it's going to stay in there because hey if you're if you've listened to this <laughs> you got to be expecting this yeah um but zach thank you for talking about tv oh, with me today tell people where they can find you so i am on uh the socials uh at zach morrison 18 because i'm still in high school apparently and we need a number um but uh, Zach Morrison 18 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, I'm on YouTube. Our, the, the comedy show we do on YouTube, we have a show. It's a sketch comedy variety show with the joke being we have no money and can't afford celebrity guests. Um, that's YouTube.com slash we have a show. And then my Vimeo, where I do like my more narrative work, that's uh, Vimeo.com slash Zach Morrison. So. All right. Well, we'll hopefully hear from you again soon in the future. And maybe we'll get to plug one of your great new projects. You <laughs> Absolutely. Know. In the, in the coming, hopefully coming months. Like, That'd I mean, be nice. Like, you know, I, I don't know how fast <laughs> this is going to happen. You know, I'm just like going to throw yeah. that out there. But, you that'd know. Be, that'd be really great. You know, wishful thinking. Yeah. Wishful thinking. So <laughs> I'll be back in a minute, fam. So that wraps up another episode of Stay Watching. I'm really interested to hear what you think of this peak TV era. Uh, if you have some comments or thoughts on peak TV and, you know, whether or not you see it as a good thing or a bad thing or kind of how you make that decision on what to watch, what, you know, how do you how do you decide what you're going to tune in for or dedicate your time to? Because, you know, for all of us, time is valuable. And when we are engaging with media, we want to make sure that that time spent is worth it. So uh, let me know what you're watching, what some of the ways that you, you know, again, make that decision of what to watch. Tell me how you do that. Uh, hit me up on social media, pretty much everywhere at LarryTron. Um, if you want to send me an email, Larry at LM2photo.com. Um, and as I said uh, in my first Mondays at the movies of the summer, I am now part of the Hard Knock Media community. Um, so Hard Knock Media is basically the media arm of the nerds of color which is a a great website and community uh about all things nerdy from the perspectives of people of color and really centering the experiences and the folks of color who are making media happen and and how folks of color kind of engage with media and and how media speaks to them and so we have a we have such a great community of podcasts that are a part of this we have some great shows like hard knock life which is all it's the flagship podcast for nerds of color 
stuff like DC TV Classics that explores the history of, you know, DC Comics foray into the television world. Southern Fried Asian, which is all about the experience of Asian Americans in the South and a whole lot more. So in future episodes, I'm going to probably be at the end of each episode telling you a little bit about why you should listen to one of the podcasts in the collective or, you know, highlighting an episode that really stands out to me. So uh, definitely stay tuned for that. Check out Hard Knock Media podcast at hardknockmedia.com. That's hard spelled the normal way nocmedia.com um and yeah so we're gonna be back on monday with our next installment of mondays at the movies um you'll find out if you follow me on social media what movies i'll be covering uh within the next couple of days uh or you'll just see it in your podcast feed especially if you don't listen to these as they come out um And yeah, uh, I'll definitely be taking suggestions for future episodes. As always, I'm looking for great guests to have on and have these conversations with. I have a couple of fun episodes planned for the future. There's going to be some where it's just going to be me flying solo again. Uh, But I also have some fun guests that I'm kind of working on lining up for the show. So um, as always, drop your feedback, leave a review, let people know about the show if you think that they're going to enjoy it. I appreciate any help that you can give in getting this out there. Uh, And I'll see you again next week, fam. Peace. Thank you.